The science of jet aircraft, the science of the airliner. Have you traveled on one of those massive double-decker Airbus A380 aircraft? I haven't, but I, I do wonder how different the sensation is sitting on the upper versus the lower deck as this thing thunders down the runway, and you know it's heavy. You know it's heavy, and you wonder... Is it going to lift off the ground? They all have so far. It's been good. Airbus, the European airline maker, or airliner maker, of course. Uh, the Science Of brought to you by the global leader in water and energy solutions, Grundfos. B. Think. Innovate. Key innovators in the world, of course, of aviation are the guys at Boeing International. Tonight, the Managing Director for Sub-Saharan Africa at Boeing, J. Miguel Santos. Miguel, welcome to The Money Show. Nice to have you with us. Good evening, Bruce. Uh, thank you for having me here again. Have, have, have you ever considered making a double-decker at, at Boeing? The guys at Airbus, of course, famously have done so. Have you uh, pondered it? Is it worth your while? Yes, we did. Well, we already had a 747, a double-decker, since the yeah, but it's like, 1970s. Yeah, but, and that's, that's the iconic aircraft, of course, the 747 yes, with the, with the, with the, with the, uh, with the sort of first class section up top, which is lovely. Um, but the whole length of the aeroplane was something that Airbus brought to market and they seem to be getting a little bit uh, wary as to whether or not it was a good idea. Uh, you're absolutely right. We considered doing it. We had quite a lot of designs, uh, for a double decker. We actually even considered to partner with Airbus. And why we considered to do that is because we didn't feel there was enough market to justify the large investment to develop a, a brand new double-decker from scratch. So we didn't. We opted to instead uh, invest in the 787 and provide customers with the option to go from point to point rather than traveling via hubs. And the 787 is proving to... to to do now what we designed it to do. The 787 is the mega long-distance aircraft, is it? I mean, this is the one that's doing these insane (laughs) 18-hour legs, those ones. Yes, it is. Um, Qantas recently launched the the route from Perth to London, which is about 18 hours flying time, non-stop. Um, But the plane is very capable of doing a lot of uh, other routes, um, short-range, medium-range, long-range routes, and, of course, extra-long-range routes. I should say that our colleagues at Airbus also have an airplane that's capable of doing a very long-range route, like Singapore to Newark. Not New York, but Newark. Yeah. Although the plane is highly limited in its payload. Um, Mm. It's an all-business-class configuration. The 787, in the configuration that Qantas is using, is still a normal um, premium-class premium economy and economy class configuration. I, I want to get into configurations and things in just a moment because it's really sure. interesting to me how the, 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 the design of the aircraft mm. determines what the customer, the airline, can, can do with it. Um, but, but basically, I mean, the, the guys at Airbus didn't, they've not been at Farnborough. Farnborough is happening this week, is it? This is the no, world. Farn- was it, was it, was it fairly recent? Uh, Farnborough happened last week. Last week. Both Boeing and Airbus, as well as Embraer, Bombardier were present. There was quite a major battle for orders uh, by the end of the air show. Uh, fortunately, we won the order <laughs> battle for the year. For uh, the air show. When you go to a place like Farnborough, which is the world's coolest air show and the biggest air show and the, and the most important showcase for manufacturers of aircraft, how does that process work as you go in and you start l- lobbying for mm-hmm. sales? Well, um, 
orders take quite a long way to materialize. It doesn't happen from one day to another. An order could be in works for as long as one or two years before it ever happens, sometimes uh, shorter periods of time. We do not select orders to announce at the air show. We allow our customers to say, look, we want to order during the, uh, announce the order during the air show. If the customer wants to do that, that's fine. That is what we will do. If you, uh, uh, if you had a chance to look at some of the announcements, there were actually order announcements prior to the air show that they were not taken into account in the 60, mm. in the 673 orders that we announced at the air show. We don't particularly save orders for the air show. Okay. Uh, we announce them when the customer wants to announce them. Of course, there is an enormous amount of visibility. You are absolutely right. The uh, Funboro is the largest air show. It's um, like Funboro and also Paris every two years. They are very large air shows, a lot of visibility. A customer that announces at the air show has the the how do you say the visibility that everybody's looking at it everybody knows that so and so announced so many orders it's good for the airline is good for the country in case of a government owned airline is good for the OEM whether it's Boeing Airbus Embraer Embraer for example announced 300 orders during the air show we announced 673 Airbus announced about 500 and some orders um it's good for the industry. Uh, but this is this, this is, is an industry. industry yeah, this is an industry that on nine eleven and the week after nine eleven looked like it was going to be dead in the water. Nobody would ever get on a commercial aircraft ever again. Nobody was ever going to travel again. The global airline industry was doomed. At least that was you know the emotional response in that week and or, or the month after uh, after nine eleven. The recovery after nine eleven has been nothing short of extraordinary. You are absolutely right. I still recall what happened in uh, 9-11. I actually was in Gabon signing for a brand new order with Air Gabon when somebody walked in the room and said, guess what happened? Uh, There was an accident. Well, then the accident turned out to be two, three, four, and then we realized (sighs) it wasn't an accident. Within two and a half months at Boeing, we laid off in excess of 50,000 people from, you know, in the space of about... uh, eight and a half weeks, because we knew the production lines were going to go down. You make a very good point. Um, the recovery has been nothing more than uh, remarkable, but keep in mind that after 9-11, we had the crisis, the financial crisis yeah. of 2008, which again caused an enormous amount of um, decrease in passenger uh, traffic. Um, again, we had to adjust our production rate for the new reality in the marketplace. The reality is that uh, the commercial aviation industry seems to be very resilient, very reliable. Um, Eventually, it comes up to the norm of about 5.5-5.9% increase a year. We just published our current market outlook for the next 20 years. And and And, you're you're forecasting in the next 20 years a demand in the world 3% higher than you figured it would be last year, 42,700 New aircraft. Now, this will be aircraft across the smaller formats that the Bombardiers and the Embraers make and, and all of the other formats that both you and Airbus make. That's correct. It involves all four of us. But there's also greater competition coming from places like China. The Chinese, what was it, a year or two ago, launched their first commercial jet, homemade commercial jet as well. Are, are they becoming a force to be reckoned with? Well, uh, if you are in the marketplace as we are, 
Anybody that comes into the marketplace is a force we need to reckon with. Uh, can we move faster? Can we move more efficiently in the implementation of value-added technology that actually brings lower operating economics, um, higher comfort to the passenger, higher safety? That's what we'll continue doing. Yes, um, the Russians, the Chinese, the Japanese have recently announced new products. We are well aware that these products will be coming into the marketplace. Our goal is to remain the most competitive, the most uh, technologically advanced uh, aircraft manufacturer, and one that, in, that places technology on the airplane when that technology is value added. If it brings value, if it brings value to the operation, to the passenger, to the comfort that a passenger experiences, that is the technology that we place in our aircraft. Our goal is to remain ahead of the competition in any way, shape, or form. We are the number one commercial aviation producer today. How, how do you measure that? Well, you, that you, you say we are number one. You mean you make yes. more airplanes than anyone else? Well, the way to measure this is uh, it's great to have a large number of orders in Farnborough. Uh, our backlog, uh, actually our colleagues in Toulouse, uh, their backlog is a little bigger than ours. But the, the, how do you say, the proof in the pudding is the number of airplanes delivered in a year. Because that's when we register revenue for our stockholders and shareholders. We have delivered more airplanes than our competition in the last five years in a row. We will continue to deliver more airplanes than the competition for the remaining 10 years. We expect by the end of the decade, we'll be delivering about 900 aircraft a year. And that's where the revenue is generated. The day you deliver an airplane to a customer, that's when you get fully paid. That's when your revenue is generated into the books of the company. And up until that point, it's research and development and construction and manufacture and the risk sits on your factory floor. The 747 uh, was built, first one in 74, was it, 1974? Yes, it's quite a few years ago. Yeah. Yes, and, and, it is. and there are, I mean, Air Force One is still one of those. And they've just, uh, Donald Trump's just put in a new order with you guys for three new Air Force Ones. Um, but the, the technology that was contained in those aircraft, and they're so beautiful. I mean, they really are. They're big bulge at the, uh, for, for airline nerd, for, for aircraft nerds, big fans of, of the 747. But aircraft design has evolved considerably. The materials have co- evolved considerably. And we look at these sort of futuristic images. Images of what airliners of the future are going to look like, these solid tubes made out of carbon fiber without any windows and with images of the outside being projected on screens on the inside. It's a kind of a weird future that we headed towards in terms of aviation technology. Just to explain to us what aviation is going to look like 20 years from now. Well, if uh, if I had a crystal ball, I could tell you that, and maybe some of the technologies that I would like to see will not be here in my lifetime. We'll continue to doing uh, to do uh, and to develop new technologies, and again, when that technology makes sense, we'll place we'll place them in our new airplanes. We are undertaking a major shift at Boeing to regain absolute control of our production line, of our design and engineering of a product. We are vertically integrating the company, both organically and inorganically, by bringing new technologies to the company. We have recently acquired Aurora Flight Sciences, one of the leading companies in autonomous vehicles. We have acquired a variety of other small companies that are looking into electric vehicles, hybrid airplanes, like Zunum, which happens to be a company in Washington State as well. Um, 
the 747 that you and I remember from so many years ago and the 747 that the government of the United States now placed an order for, and by the way, if you allow me to correct, it's only two aircraft. Not oh, three. I beg your pardon. I it's beg okay. Pardon. <laughs> it's okay. It's two. We would like it to be three, but it's only two. <laughs> um, that airplane is in fact a 747, but it's the Dash I. What we took the fuselage that you well known, it's an iconic fuselage, no, no question about that. But we took that fuselage and we uh, completely placed a new wing on the airplane. Why? Because now we can develop wings made of, like you mentioned, carbon fiber. Um, a lot more flexible. Um, they actually bend in flight. Uh, they provide <laughs> well, a lot more lift. Um, well, for the first time, you have actually airplanes that bend wings, you know, the wings yeah. kind of go up. So... Um, the 747-8I, which Lufthansa flies here to Joburg and that the U.S. government placed an order for, has the wing uh, similar to the 787. So the carbon fiber winger, wing substantially more flexible. In the future, will we have airplanes that actually are just a tube with uh, holographic images or, or images projected on the f internal part of the fuselage? It's possible. There are... Uh, people looking, there are companies looking into this. Mm. Um, I still believe that, um, for example, we need two pilots in the flight deck. You, 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 like do you think the future of, of, of airlines and, and aircraft is, does involve human beings? Because if Elon Musk hasn't got anything to do with it, I'm sure he'll replace pilots in addition to drivers at some point. Uh, well, um, I believe passengers, we are looking at more ways to create a greater degree of autonomy inside the aircraft. Um, but eventually, it is the pilot, uh, all this information that's provided to a pilot, it's the pilot that can control the information that he or she is receiving and then take the appropriate action depending on what's happening with the airplane. Um, I still believe that the, uh, our, our philosophy, for example, in the flight deck is that the pilot is ultimately in control of the aircraft. The technology, the incredibly amount of information is there to facilitate his job and his or her decision-making capability for a safe flight from beginning to the end. Um, you've only you've we, only got to watch the the movie about the the crash and the hut the landing the emergency landing not the crash oh, at the, um, in at the Hudson in the Hudson with Sully yes. at the uh, Sullenberger exactly. uh, at at the at the helm of the aircraft to understand that the human it's comforting to know that there's somebody who knows what they're doing right up in front I mean the the numbers on the aircraft the the seven oh seven the seven two was there ever a seven one seven I don't know but uh, well originally there wasn't. Um, it, the 707 started as a model number called the 720, actually. Okay. And then it became the 707. And then it simply became a tradition inside Boeing okay. that followed into the 7273. When we acquired McDonnell Douglas Corporation, we brought a, uh, one of their products into our lineup, which was originally had been called the MD-97. And that airplane became the 717. Is that, is, is that the one with the, sort of the T-shaped fin at the back? Yes, sir. Okay, yes, yes. Up, up until, yes. yeah, we, we had quite a few of those in South African skies, the low-cost airlines. Yes, there started were, and in, there are still some yeah. flying in Australia, actually. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, what's yeah. astonishing to me is the lifespan of these aircraft. I mean, the, the, they're aircraft that are 30 and 40 years old that are still flying. They've got an extraordinary longevity. 
Look, I um, I still recall on my early years at Boeing, a vice president we had by the name of Ben Cosgrove. If you dare to say in a meeting that the plane had a limited lifespan, you'd be fired on the spot. <laughs> uh, his feeling was, and it and it's correct. If the plane is maintained properly mm. per the maintenance uh, per the manufacturer's uh, planning document, etc., the plane can last for a long time. Let's face it. The U.S. Navy, for example, has airplanes today that are 45 years old, still in operation on carriers, um, like the Greyhound. They're going to be replaced soon. Um, what we have to distinguish is between technical life of an airplane and economic life. Because technology is advancing so quickly, an airplane comes about like the 787 that causes other aircraft to become obsolete, simply because it's a lot more fuel efficient, its lower uh, operating costs are substantially lower, provides a better comfort for the passengers. Suddenly you're comparing a 787, for example, and I'm going to stay within Boeing, with a 767. Well, the 787 is a lot more efficient airplane yeah. than the 767. And when an airline has to compete so aggressively in such a competitive environment as they do to lower their operating costs so that you and I can travel for lower fares, they need an airplane that's lower operating costs. Well, suddenly a 787 is 20-30% lower operating costs than a 767 or even an A330. I mean, we, we in South Africa, of course, uh, SAA is predominantly, especially on the long haul, has got the, the, the old, uh, old air buses, the, the ones with the four engines on the wings. And, and the more engines you have, the more fuel you're burning, the less efficient you are. And modern day aircraft, both Airbus and yourselves, you've got one air, one engine on each wing. Um, and you, you cover the distance, you, you get, you, you get the productivity coming through. Mueli in Bramfontein has got a question for you, Miguel. Uh, you're sure. an aeronautical engineer Mueli? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm actually a student at first in aeronautical engineering. And what is your Hello? question? Yeah, what, is, what is your question Mueli? So basically I just want to understand, I just want to understand, um, I understand as a big corporate for instance in room, one of the for the big four in life, basically as a lawyer, but in engineering as an aerospace or in North engineering student, um, do you, as a company, have any particular program dedicated to student development? Okay, Mueli, sorry, your, your line quality is horrible, but I've got an idea of your question. Um, do you run competitions for student aeronautical engineers, people who could make a contribution to the evolution of the mighty Boeing Corporation? Mueli would love uh, to be given that kind of opportunity. Do you run those sorts of competitions? Well, actually, it's a good question, uh, and I'm going to have to do a two-part answer. One, yes, we have uh, recently started a competition for autonomous vehicles. Uh, with a large number of universities and other companies involved in it. And that co that competition is currently underway, and uh, a couple of products have been identified as having enormous potential. We also have what we call the internal um, internship program, the intern business uh, program. We just announced it uh, a week ago. Uh, the applications close today or tomorrow, I believe. Um, last year we had a couple of interns from, uh, I'm sorry, this year we had a couple of interns from Wits University. They have done so well that we have unilaterally extended their internship at Boeing. Great. Last year we also had two interns and one of them we extended his internship at Boeing. So we're looking constantly for new talent. Uh, we're not just an American company, we are a global company that lives in a global environment. Mm. 
we need to constantly look at what else is out there. I mean, it's the, there are other people with the same capabilities that can, can come up with outstanding Great. ideas and value to what we're trying to accomplish. Moeli, I hope that helps you. Um, you mentioned a word earlier with me, which many people don't associate with long-haul travel, especially if you sit in economy class or you sit in, cl- <laughs> in, in cattle class, as it's so really called. You use the word comfort. Now, comfort is not a word with which many people are familiar when it comes to 21st century airliners. Is there really such a thing as comfort in cattle class anymore? Well, <clears throat> I just came from London uh, last week on uh, 11 an 11 hours flight. I actually traveled in economy. Um, I was able to sleep because I'm conditioned to sleep on aircraft. Uh, my wife came a week later. She was completely unable to sleep on the aircraft. So she, when she got home, she crashed, as you can expect. Mm. Is there comfort in economy? Well, um, airlines have, there's a very fine line to balance between revenue and actually making money, you know, having a profitable operation. So you need seats on an airplane. In economy, you, we charging, the airlines are charging such low fares. Um, that sometimes is comfort compromised, well, comfort is brought to a minimum where seats are, for example, 18 inches wide, 32 to 34 inch seat pitch. Of course, if you are six foot five, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. On, on, I mean, that's reality. That's the reality we face. If we start taking a lot of seats out, um, the fares are going to have to go up for an airline to be able to make money. Um, you and I enjoy the, I know you currently in Cape Town. I was there recently. I'm going there in two weeks. We enjoy flying very quickly for $69 on some airline. You can go down to, um, to Cape Town and come back uh, f- for the weekend, for example. Yeah. If you, uh, if we start providing more comfort, if you start providing seats at 36 inch, inch pitch, you have to take two or three seat rows off the airplane. If you take those rows out, your revenue comes down, which means your fares are going to have to go up and, for the airline. And, and, to and I'm to glad make you make the point so eloquently because people go back to the glory days of airlines when there was space and when there was room. But in real terms, getting anywhere in the world today is considerably cheaper than it was 10 years ago and probably in real terms half the price of what it was 20 years ago. Technology has enabled that, volume has enabled that, and uh, at the cost of comfort, um, you know, it is cheaper to fly anywhere in the world in real terms. Yes, it is. I mean, you can, uh, um, I recently needed to go to Portugal for a family event, and the easiest way that we found was actually to fly from Joburg to Luanda, Angola, where, as you know, I'm from, mm-hmm. and then just connect with a tug flight from Angola to to Luan, I mean to Lisbon. Uh, my wife and I were able to do that for about uh, three hundred ninety-three dollars round trip. It's insane, um, but I mean, your, your new markets on this continent. Very briefly, I've been remiss to get there earlier, but Kenya, Ethiopia, South Africa is going to be in the market at some point. Hopefully, if we don't uh, break the airline first um, for for new aircraft, you, you, you clearly you angling for the business. Well, uh, you've uh, recently you probably heard of the SATAM, the single uh, African air transport market that was signed in Ethiopia. It's um, it's a follow-on to an initiative that took place about 20 years ago called the Amasukru decision okay. that really never took hold. We need to see more travel in Africa. 
we are very constrained in Africa today. Um, there's a lot of destinations, a lot of capitals that are not connected. Ethiopia is in the forefront of connecting this continent, Miguel, both we, east and yeah, west. I apologize for being so rude it's okay. to interrupt it's you. Okay, but, Bruce, but the no point problem. is, the market is there. There is an opportunity. And if you're looking for an aircraft, uh, Boeing International, Managing Director for Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Miguel Dos Santos, thank you very much. Uh, sorry, not, not Dos Santos, that's very rude. Miguel Santos, thank you very much for joining us. Money Show on your number one news and talk station. Pump systems account for a staggering 10% of the world's electrical energy consumption. A shift to energy-efficient pumps can save 50% of that energy. Grunfoss, the global leader in innovative pump technology and is the leading the charge in reducing environmental impact and further mitigating our environmental deficit by harnessing power from off-the-grid and renewable systems. For sustainable pumping solutions in buildings, industries and water utilities, choose Grunfoss. Change the world. Visit scienceofgrundfoss.co.za. Grundfoss, sustainably intelligent energy solutions. We care for people and our planet.